We all enjoy a good story. And those of us who are Christians, the story of how others came to saving faith in Jesus Christ is something we like to hear and to listen to. Many of us, however, might feel we have testimonies that have no dramatic content. We feel that there is very little to excite in our story because we've been brought up under God in the church, under Christian parents who taught us from our earliest days, who instructed us, who made sure we went to Sabbath school and all the events in the church. And at some process of time, we came to realize that indeed Jesus Christ is Lord and King and we were simply trusting in him. And at that point, at some point, we we were able to say, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord and God Almighty. And we feel we don't have a very exciting testimony. But the truth of the matter is that every testimony should grasp our imagination and should delight us. And more than that, it's not just up to the point where we come to know Christ, but it is what God has been continuing to do. Indeed, when we hear a testimony of someone who has been, we might say, very dark and rebellious, who has been completely outside of the things of God, we marvel at how they've been changed. But surely the best part is to hear them speak of how God has continued with them, changed them, made them different people, and brought them to be witnesses for him. Just in the same way that you and I should be able to speak, even though we don't think our testimony, our our experience of conversion is very exciting, we should be able to speak of how God has developed, how God has directed, guided, and overruled in our lives. All of those things should be a delight for us to speak of and to listen to. And this evening we're turning to this remarkable testimony in Scripture. And as we focus this evening on the human side of Saul's conversion, we are thinking about a man who has indeed a very remarkable testimony. And we can say that because we know not just his conversion, But we know how he devoted himself to Jesus. We know the next bit of the story. And it makes it, as it were, all the more remarkable that this man became a true apostle of Christ and was much used by God in all that was to happen. And so we're thinking about Saul being confronted by the Lord. And as we think about these verses we want to think of it under four made headings. First of all, we're going to think about the wicked rebellion in Saul. Then we're going to have the wonderful revelation given to Saul. And then we have a worried recruit in Ananias. And lastly, a work of renewal in Saul's life. <clears throat> First of all, then, wicked rebellion. When we meet Saul at the beginning of chapter 9, we read of him that he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But we have already been introduced to this man called Saul. 
Back at the beginning of chapter 8, there he was giving assent. Well, more than that, uh, we remember when he spoke about Stephen's death, Saul wasn't just giving assent, he was wholeheartedly and fully engaged in the stoning of the Lord's servant. The people may have laid their clothes at Saul's feet, but he was very ready to see all that was done to Stephen done. And then we read in the following verses, and in verse 3 of chapter 8, how he began to destroy the church. Saul continued in his outright rebellion and wickedness. <clears throat> He's seeking out the believers to destroy them. And it is for that very reason that he is on a journey to Damascus. His heart is overflowing with hatred towards those who love the Lord Jesus. He is rebelling for all he is worth against the Messiah, against the God who has sent his Son to die on the cross. And so when the Scripture tells us that he is breathing out murderous intent, that is exactly what it was. It was a heartfelt, uh, um, darkened heart out of which venom was flowing. We've just sung in that psalm. And Saul was one of those wicked people who was doing all kinds of evil against the Lord and his people. A darkened man. The way of Jesus Christ to his mind was a complete anathema. As a Pharisee and as a Jew, he looked upon this new way, this people who call themselves Christ's as a diversion and a threat to their spirituality because as a Jew he wanted to see them following the laws of the Jews. He wanted to see them listening to the Pharisees and learning about what God had done. He had no time for thinking that perhaps this was the Messiah. That hadn't engaged him at all. Or maybe you should say, or had it. Perhaps in the back of his mind, this rebellion that is flowing from him was a kicking against the pricks. But what we are seeing is his utter rebellious heart. I'm sure we've all met people in society and we can see a hatred in them. And we think, why? What's it all about? We, we see no logic to it. And there was really very little logic to the rebellion and the wickedness in Saul. If these people who call themselves Christians were so out of step, surely he should have had confidence in his Jewish tradition. Rather than seek to destroy them, it would have fizzled out. But there is something in him, blind hatred, and he wants to destroy. And sometimes we have met people like that, blind hatred. No real logic. It's just someone has rubbed them up the wrong way, done some little minor thing. It doesn't deserve to be noticed. But they have taken it to heart. And the venom and the hatred that comes is unspeakable. We can look back in our, society, in our world in the past at those who ruled in regimes where there was hatred of some other ethnic minority. We think of the Nazis and the Jews. What was the reason for that? It was blind, unadulterated wickedness and hatred. And Saul is just like that. And we might say, that was Saul. 
Friends, what you and I need to realize that what has been described of Saul describes your unrepentant heart and mine. This is, in fact, a description of the sinner's heart. It's a description of what you were, what I was, before Christ brought us to himself. Only but for the grace of God, we would probably have been worse. And even for those of us, and many of us here brought up in the church, we must thank God that from our earliest days he restrained the rebellious wickedness of our hearts. And we were not allowed by God to descend into the depths of this wickedness. But you see, in reality, the sinner in his sin is an utter opposition to God. And though we may not breathe out murderous threats against others, the heart is full of venom against God and against his people. Perhaps in our day today, we are seeing more of that come to the fore. uh, Those things that would have covered over the, the wickedness of man and his Threats against Christians are, are the veils are being pulled aside. And as we stand up for life or for the correct way of marriage or for other things that honor Jesus Christ, we're seeing the venom that comes. And there's no reason for it except that we are Christ's and we honor him. But it is a callous, rebellious, sinful heart. wonder could it be any of us still in that situation. How we need to cry out to God for mercy. But we do need to bow before God and say, Lord, that's what I was. That's what I would have been. I was like Saul before his conversion. Wicked. Do you recognize that? Yes, you've been brought up in the church. Yes, you've been restrained. Give thanks to Almighty God that you were restrained. If God had allowed you to enjoy all the pleasures of your sin, you would have been in the pit and in the depths, and you would have had to be. It would have taken uh, greater things to draw you out of those things. <clears throat> so let us recognize that the sinful heart is a rebellious heart, a wicked heart, and that's the heart of every sinner, until God lays His hand upon us. So what I want to get across to you is that we must not assume that because we are believers that we're any better than anyone else. If we take away God's hand from us, we are just the same as them. Give thanks to God for his grace. But that brings us secondly to think about the wonderful revelation. Here was a man, Saul, he was skilled, schooled in the Pharisees. By the Pharisees, he knew the Jewish scriptures. And here he is with letters of intent on his way to Damascus, harboring rebellious, murderous thoughts against the way of Jesus Christ. And suddenly, on the road, there's a bright light, and he hears the voice. This is a wonderful revelation of God to his heart. And I want you to note this. It ought not to be taken as the norm 
by any stretch of the imagination. This was an extraordinary work of God because Saul was to be an extraordinary man in God's hand. It was extraordinary times. We're still in the apostolic age. that The church needed to grow and God was going to use this man mightily. He was his chosen vessel from the very foundation of the world, even though he'd rebelled. But how God revealed himself, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul seems to know who the me is because as we read on, he is able to say, who are you, Lord? So Saul, maybe in the back of his mind, has begun to think about the Lord Jesus and has begun already to to see the error of his own way or at least to, to ponder, could it be that I am on the wrong track? But here's a revelation, a wonderful revelation. He had been acting as though all the news about the risen Savior was a myth that it was complete rubbish. To him, Jesus was dead. Now he hears the living Christ speak to him. And he is not going to be allowed to get away from that. The one who had stirred up so many, the one who had been crucified on the cross, the one who had been buried in the tomb and now people are saying is alive, Saul had no time for counting him as dead. Suddenly, Wonderfully, Christ reveals himself. And as he speaks again to Saul in verse 5, Jesus reveals who he is. Who is this who is speaking? Is it some ghost? No, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. What a wonderful word to the heart of Saul. I am Jesus. The very one that you're persecuting. The one you think is dead. The one you have been so arrogant and going against. Here he is, very much alive. Risen Savior. Wonderful Lord. What a wonderful revelation of God for Saul. It is dramatic And it is going to be life-changing. There are times when we have things that happen in our lives which can be quite dramatic. You might even say life-changing. Just imagine the kind of things that come perhaps as a result of some unexpected blessing or indeed sometimes of illness. And it changes the way we have to think about life. But none of those dramas in our lives can even begin to match what was happening here with Saul. God was at work. And God may not have dramatically entered into your life, but God did reveal himself to you. And it's just as wonderful and amazing when God speaks in the still, calm voice with no flashes of lightning, no voices from the heavens when reading the word or when sitting 
listening to a sermon and God says, I want you to serve me. That's just as wonderful. Just as a remarkable a revelation when Jesus would say to you, I am Jesus, the one who died to save your life. Saul was convinced that Jesus was Lord. God has convinced some of us that Jesus Christ is Lord in a much quieter, much less dramatic way. But it is still as wonderful to be assured to know that this Jesus is real and alive, that he speaks. And so it doesn't matter whether you've been called out of the darkness of utter rebellion and outward hostility, or whether you've been gradually brought through Christian love and parents to Christ. It's a wonderful thing to have Jesus revealed to you, to have your heart opened up and to show you Here is the Messiah. Here is the altogether lovely one who died on the cross. Here is he who shed his blood that you might have life. If you are not in Jesus, pray for a revelation to your heart. You need to pray that Jesus might reveal himself to you. In fact, as believers, we should pray that anyway because we long to see more of him. Surely we long to learn more of him, to follow him more closely, to hear him say, I am Jesus, and I'll show you the way. If any are without Christ, then they're without hope. And we need to realize the wonder of the revelation that will come through him. And so Saul, wicked, rebellious, has had this wonderful revelation. And as we read in this passage, he is told to go down into Damascus. He's now blind. He's blind. God is working physically as well as spiritually. uh, And it all ties together to bring him to the place of faith. And he comes down to Damascus. But it is there that God now employs a man to come and speak, to bring what the revelation has been dealing with Saul over to in the form of, of another believer to speak to him. And that's why I've called him a worried recruit. And you can see where that comes from. Because you can just imagine Ananias. God comes and says to him, Ananias, you know, there's a man called Saul of Tarsus. And he's been praying And I want you to go and see him. And Ananias has heard all the stories. He knows the wickedness of his heart, of this man's heart. He knows his rebellion. He, the, the, uh, the uh, way in which Saul had destroyed the church has travelled before him through the other believers. No doubt those in Damascus had already heard that Saul, with all his vitriol, is on the way to destroy them. And God says to Ananias, Go on down there and meet him. Have a wee chat with him. Go to see him. Would you not be nervous? Would you not have thought, Lord, what are you asking me to do? He's here to actually arrest us and he will kill us if he gets a chance. No wonder Ananias, being recruited by God for this task, is worried 
And he speaks to the Lord. I have heard many reports about this man. All the harm he has done, Lord. But what does God say? He says, go because I have chosen this man to be my witness. To be a witness for me. Go to the house and you will be able to deal with this man. My chosen instrument. Fair play to Ananias. Without another word, he simply does what God asks him to do. He goes. He goes. He is reassured by God. He might have gone with nervousness, but he trusts God. His faith is in God. And if God says to go to this wicked man, he will go. Though he's a worried recruit, he gets over that and does what the Lord wants. I wonder, have you been a worried recruit? At times you have that little voice in your mind and heart that says, you should say a word for Jesus. You should speak out here about what these people are talking about because it's wrong and it's wicked. And in your heart you have all that concern. What will they think about me? What if they overreact? What if I don't have the words to say? We can make all kinds of reasons and we are worried. But let us hear the word of God to Ananias. He simply said, go, go. And Ananias went. God took away all his excuses. He is my chosen, my instrument. Go to him. Let me deal with him. Sometimes that's what we need in our lives. To put aside our worries and our concerns and simply go. Because God is something beyond what we can see or understand for those whom we speak to. It may be to harden their hearts. It may be to challenge them. It may be by God's grace that out of our few words, something else will click in their minds and later, if not then, they will come to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, we are worried. We get worried and anxious because our focus is on ourselves. What are they going to say about me? How are they going to react to me? Friends, let us worry more, less, and do more for the glory of God. And let God deal with them. Because if they come against us, if they rebel against us, they're rebelling against God. We should remember the words that come at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Verse 20, the Great Commission. But what does God, what does Jesus say to his disciples at the very end? He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the word of God to Ananias is, go, I'll be with you. His word to you and me is, go, I'll be with you. Yes, you are mine. I've recruited you. You're part of my kingdom. You're my uh, my people to go in my name I will be with you you don't need to be worried or concerned or anxious about the people you will speak to I God will deal with them that's how the Lord would speak to us I know I've been timid and fearful at times thinking that people will throw back your words at you and that 
they'll take it out of context and they'll relate badly. And in our day and generation, we know they will, may well do that. But God calls us to go and be a witness for him. And out of those whom we speak to, he may have those who will be used mightily in his name. What a wonderful word to Ananias. And he does go. And he does speak to Saul. And he, not only that, but he touches Saul. Here's the human contact brought in. And what a blessing that is. And that leads us to the last thing, which is the work of renewal. And of course, speaking of this at this point, but the work of renewal has been ongoing. From the moment Saul so violently hates Christ through the mighty uh, flashes of lightning and the words, the work of renewal has begun. Saul is thinking behind the closed eyes, the darkened eyes, his mind is turning over all the scriptures that he knows. We think of those passages that he no doubt knew from Isaiah, which meant so little. Now suddenly he's beginning to see that that one who is bruised for our iniquities and so on. This is the one. And I've been part of the one who is bruising him. And all of this, of course, feeds into Saul, Paul's work later on as, a, as a, an apostle and worker for God. But here's God bringing to human contact that there might be a continued encouragement and renewal. And what does Saul do? Well, he's able to give testimony to God. He is able to persuade Ananias that he's ready to be baptized. I find that remarkable. That Ananias was able to say, I believe that what that I see in you are the work of God. You're renewed. You're not the same man that left Jerusalem to come down to Damascus. You've been renewed. And as Ananias speaks to him, lays his hands upon him, and the scales fall from his eyes, Saul is renewed. Why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he is utterly changed. From that moment, Saul is a new man. It takes a while to persuade others, as we can understand, but almost immediately begins to preach the word of God. Friends, just note this. It wasn't Ananias who changed him. Ananias was simply an instrument in the hand of God. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's something we should grasp and hold on to. It's not your job or mine when we're speaking to a friend or a neighbor or to an unbeliever or wherever we may find them to change their hearts. Only God can renew. And he will do so in the power of his Spirit. And our confidence is that he will call his people to himself. We believe that God has his people and he will bring them to faith in himself. How profitable is, yes, to have human interaction. How profitable it was for Saul, and no doubt he and Ananias had a bigger discussion than is recorded in Scripture. But we know the profit of that. 
People like to ask questions and we will answer them. We want to center things on Christ and tell them all that we can. We want to impart knowledge. But it is the Lord God by His Spirit who changes their hearts, who works renewal. And when we have said our bit, we can go home and pray, Lord, be at work. Be at work in their lives and bring renewal to them. Our words, our testimony, our explanations, we pray will have cemented something of their understanding and help them to see the truth of God. But it is God by His Spirit who does the renewing work. That's been true for you and for me. We may look back at ministers or parents or others who have had a good influence on us, but they didn't change us. God changed us. And that should give us great confidence. So we speak to men and women. It is the Lord's work. We pray that he will continue to do it. So we started out with a man full of wickedness and rebellion, hatred, venom. Saul is not a nice character. No wonder he changed his name to Paul. And from here on, really, we will speak, uh, uh, Acts goes on to speak about Paul, all that Paul did. But remember, he was a Saul, wicked. He had wonderful revelation. What wonder God has revealed his love to us. He used a rather worried recruit in Ananias to go and tell. What an example he is to us. Put our worries aside. Go and tell the gospel. And know that God will do the work of renewing by his Spirit.